Spotify, Apple, so many places to get the podcast and listen at your leisure should you miss us any day in real time. But I am delighted to have you along live with us today for the next three hours. Let me also invite you to follow me on Facebook and Instagram at The Real Tavis Smiley and get Twitter updates at Tavis Smiley. Another great show on tap for you today in our second hour, the story of a heroic enslaved black woman named Anarcha who was forced to endure grueling experimental surgeries without anesthesia so that Dr. J. Marion Sims could be regarded as the father of modern gynecology. As statues were erected to honor Dr. Sims, Anarcha's story was relegated to the shadows. Her sacrifice and contributions diminished and overlooked until now. Author J.C. Hallman joins us in our two to talk about a young enslaved black woman, a devious surgeon, and the harrowing birth of modern women's health. This is one of those hidden figures kind of stories. Uh, no way he becomes the, the father of modern gynecology. No way that we see women's health advance in the way that it has without this enslaved woman named Anarcha. We'll talk about that in our two. In our third hour. Sax virtuoso Kamazi Washington joins us in our three today. Uh, alongside Herbie Hancock, Kamazi is the 2023 Hollywood Bowl Jazz Festival co-curator, and he joins us to talk about his music and the festival taking place June 17th and 18th. I look forward to a conversation with Kamazi Washington later in today's program. Also in the third hour, thoughts on the presidential campaign of Cornell West. Yesterday on this program, uh, he announced, uh, we, not on this program, while we were on the air, he announced that he's running for president as a candidate for the People's Party. And the phone started blowing up, asking me, given my 30-year uh, friendship with Dr. West, whether or not it was true. Indeed, it is true. Uh, and by now, you know that. He's been all over the, uh, the news uh, in the last 24 hours uh, about his announcement running for president. Uh, I'll have some thoughts about that uh, in our third hour uh, about his campaign for the White House and what it means and why he's doing it and what I think of it. Uh, more importantly, I should tell you now that on Thursday uh, in our first hour, Dr. West will be our guest live in studio. He'll be in Los Angeles uh, on Thursday. I could have had him on today or tomorrow, but I waited until Thursday because he will be in L.A. and in this studio. 
Uh, so the first hour of our Thursday program, 9 to 10 Pacific time, Cornell West, Dr. West, uh, presidential candidate Cornell West, uh, live in studio, 9 a.m. on Thursday morning. That said, in this first hour today, last week, U.S. Senator Marco Rubio introduced what he's calling the Fairness in Higher Education Accreditation Act, which would ban accreditation officials from considering an educational institution's DEI or affirmative action policies when determining accreditation. This comes after Florida Governor Ron DeSantis recently made headlines by signing a bill into law that defunds diversity programs at the state's public colleges while also imposing restrictions on how race can be addressed in numerous cases. These actions align with a broader trend across the nation where conservative voices have been criticizing and targeting initiatives that promote diversity in higher education. When we come forward, we'll commence a conversation with Leah Smiley, president of the Society for Diversity, right here on KBLA Talk 1580. Kevin Smiley, you're listening to KBLA Talk 1580. We're glad about it. Our phone number 1-800-920-1580, 1-800-920-1580. That is the music of the great Dizzy Gillespie. June is Black Music Month, and every day during the month of June that I'm on the air, all three hours of our program, we're playing the music of a particular artist in residence, if you will, (laughs) for three hours at least. Uh, Yesterday's featured artist was Sly the Family Stone, and today we're going the other direction with Dizzy Gillespie. So all three hours of our program today, you'll be hearing some of the best of Dizzy Gillespie on KBLA Talk 1580 as we celebrate Black Music Month. Here in the month of June. That said, let's commence this conversation now with Leah Smiley, uh, who is the president of the Society for Diversity. If the last name sounds familiar, it's because uh, we are related. Uh, she is married to my brother Derwin, uh, full disclosure, but she's the president of this um, um, Society for Diversity, which is the leading organization in the country uh, when it comes to DE and I training. And I'm delighted to have Leah Smiley on this program. Leah, how are you today? Very good. Hi, Tavis. How are you? If I complained, I'd be an ingrate. You know me. I'm glad to, <laughs> glad to be on with you, uh, and thank you for the opportunity to, to talk about this issue. Um, let me let me just start by saying that on top of everything I said moments ago about why we're having this conversation, this uh, legislation introduced by uh, uh, Republican Senator Marco Rubio out of Florida, of course, the governor of his state, Ron DeSantis, and all his ugly antics when it comes to DE&I, um, we're having the conversation based on that, but there's a, there's a much larger frame here, uh, as mm-hmm. you well know, that we are waiting uh, literally for the affirmative action decision from the Supreme Court. Uh, when they get to June, uh, as most of you know, we start getting these decisions and literally every day, every other day, there are one, two or three announcements, uh, rulings being uh, delivered. Uh, to the American public, uh, courtesy of the spokesperson for the Supreme Court, about what the court has decided on a variety of issues. So we are in that season right now. <clears throat> Excuse me. We're in that season right now where all of these uh, decisions are coming uh, forward. And so we are expecting any moment now a decision from the United States Supreme Court on affirmative action. And for those of us who have half a brain, <laughs> we fully expect uh, that affirmative action, as we have known it, is going to go by the wayside. So you put that right. on top of this, uh, these attacks on DEI in Florida and beyond, and you've got a you've got a you've got a a, a, a bad brew here uh, of uh, of what is uh, coming into uh, coming for us, I should say, into the future. So all that said, right. let me just ask you a broad question: What you think is happening right now? Why is all of this happening? in this present moment, Lee, and then we'll get more specific as we move through the hour. So today is National Higher Education Day, 
And um, I think today's topic is very appropriate for the discussion that we're going to have. The bigger picture that we are looking at is the issue of demographics and power. And I'm going to talk about both issues, Mm -hmm. right? So we're going to look deeper at the demographics, specifically when we talk about those demographics about Black folks. Um, But also this narrative that is designed to hold on to power and um, to make it rule by the few. And that's what we've seen over the last couple of um, uh, last couple of months, mm-hmm. ruled by the few. And I think that's the bigger issue that we're talking about, um, the demographics and this whole uh, power dynamic. Mm. So um, the demographics you're talking about, I assume, are the numbers we reference all the time, that soon the nation will be a majority-minority country, uh, where white folk are outnumbered for the first time. Is that what you're talking about, basically? Yes, and and certainly that has already happened, right? It's it's been happening for years, mm-hmm. and the issue is the demographics are incorrect. Um, President Trump's team it did as much as admitted it when they said we like to make sure that we are in power when the demographic counts are done because we want to make sure that we can tell our story the way we want to tell it. In all the times that we've had the census. Um, no one really questions the census data mm-hmm. until recently. And you have to look at the fact that uh, in 1990, Bush was in office. In 2020, you had Trump. 1970, you had Nixon. But um, even when Carter, Obama, and Clinton were in office, they never questioned those demographics. Mm-hmm. Why is it that the black population has been 12 to 15% of the United States population for the last 40-something years, right? We Mm -hmm. don't ask those kind of questions. Mm -hmm. Um, But Pew Research just did a report in 2023 where they said the Black population grew by 30% since 2000. So how can we grow um, consistently over all these years and still only maintain 12 to 15% of the U.S. population. Mm-hmm. So you're saying, you're saying your, your view is, uh, based on this peer research, uh, that the count of African-Americans in the country is not completely accurate. Right, right. And, and certainly there are a lot of people who perpetuate the stereotypes based on the counts that have been coming forth. Like every black person lives in an urban area. Every, you know, black family is lacking a dad. Every, uh, you know, every black family is poor and struggling. And certainly that is the case for a lot of families, but it's not every family in the black community. And there is no comprehensive report that gives a complete picture of the black community. No one can point to that. Even when we had the most recent demographics, one of the things that most recent census counts, one of the things that they said was, well, we we weren't able to get to the the black and the Hispanic communities in full, right? Mm -hmm. And the people who were fighting about the demographics, they already know what the demographics are. It's just the rest of us Mm -hmm. who don't know and have an accurate picture of what the demographics are. But the demographics have been changing for years. They've already changed. The only difference is 
many of us are operating on old data. Mm-hmm. So link, link, I'm just trying to process all this as you in, in real time. So link that demographic uh, data that you've just laid out to this attack um, by Rubio, DeSantis, and others on DE&I. One of the things that's happening is when you control the data, when you control the narrative, you can make people's perceptions of other groups. Um, you can influence people's perceptions of other groups. So one of the things that happens is you have people that justify uh Black people in particular being treated the way that we are because, you know, there's data out there that suggests, okay, 12% of the population is committing 90% of the crime, right? And um, you have data out there that suggests even when we're talking about affirmative action, up until recently, you had individuals who were Asians who were labeled as the model minority group. Mm -hmm. They were fighting against college admissions for Black students. I'm not knowing, you know, that the real data showed that the Nepo babies were taking the spots. Um, Those legacies, Mm -hmm. the wealthy donors, faculty and staff relatives, that's who was taking the spots, Mm -hmm. not black and Latino students. So as we're looking at this current attack that's going on, it's driven by the fact that you have some people that have proximity to whiteness, um, as well as those who are perhaps conservative, and they're saying, hey, you know what? We can continue along what we're doing, even going back, rolling back the, the needle, because these demographics suggest that these black people don't know what they're doing if we were to let them get in, in control, right? Mm-hmm. We, we don't want them to be the dominant group. Because look at Chicago, look at Baltimore, look at these top black cities. We're not going to look at West Virginia or uh, Mississippi or Kentucky. We're going to look at these top black cities where there are um, some some things going on, you know, where there are lots of challenges with crime, with uh, um, with um, drugs and all sorts of different things. And we're going to make this point, this case for these attacks on the schools. And certainly part of the problem is going to go back to uh, the DEI initiative. When we had uh, George Floyd being murdered and companies and schools and universities and government agencies starting DEI initiatives for the first time in mass, Mm -hmm. you had a lot of DEI people that just jumped into the field but they didn't know what they were doing. They didn't invest in doing the work properly. This is a profession. And as a profession, it requires a level of knowledge and skill. Mm -hmm. And certainly you had some people that were perpetuating stereotypes. For instance, I read that there was a chief diversity officer of a K through 12 school district. And they said, we're going to take all the black people and brown people on a bus trip to universities because they are the underprivileged kids and they are the individuals who uh, are poor and, and need this more than anybody else. I'm like, what? First of all, <laughs> that that's not even true. It's based on uh, a stereotype, number one. But number two, there are all sorts of students, black, brown, white, black, purple, green, who need to have access to first-generation uh, college programs, right? Mm-hmm. And certainly... 
as we're doing DEI, the work that we're doing is for everyone, even though there are a disproportionate number of people that are black and brown who are impacted our work should benefit everyone. Let me let me let me let me and, let me, let me cut in there right quick and ask you. Um, to those companies that you referenced uh, a moment ago, there were uh, just a plethora of companies. I mean, we, we one couldn't even count all the companies. It seems to me that were making all these public pronouncements about how uh, about how much better they were going to do around the issue of diversity, equity, and inclusion. And now they say belonging. We'll come to that a little bit later and ask you what you think of that word being added to the to the mix. Um, but. All these companies came forward, to your point, in the, uh, after the murder of George Floyd, saying they were going to do better. And now we see a complete U-turn on that. I've been reading a lot lately. I don't read uh, everything that you read or probably as much as you read. This is your field, not mine. But I'm reading enough stuff uh, to convince me that companies have done a U-turn on this. Uh, we just recently commemorated, as you know, the third anniversary of the murder of George Floyd. And it's stunning to look at all these companies who promised to do X, Y, or Z, who have now either fired they're let go, downsize, pink slip, pick your word. These DEI officials are being pushed out of corporate America as these companies are cutting budgets, trying to save money. But the commitment for a variety of reasons isn't there now the way it was three years ago. And I've said repeatedly, somebody ought to track that. Somebody ought to do the research and win a Pulitzer Prize. Tracking all these companies who made these commitments three years ago and did not live up to them, and now many, again, are doing U-turns. What do you make of the U-turn these, these companies are making right about now, three years after, promising to do better? So I'm going to put this back on the companies who hire unskilled diversity officers because they, these, some of these diversity officers have folks read books, mm-hmm. and they should have been focusing on the strategy. Um, and certainly they also should have been learning what the business case is. The business case is a a financial justification for the use of resources. It is what demonstrates the return on investment. If you go back to the history of DEI, the history is that affirmative action was started, right? And then fast forward, companies said, look, affirmative action is government mandated. It's not something that is going to work for us over the long term. What would do better for us is diversity. So corporations created this concept of diversity for the purposes of not only diversifying their customer base and Mm -hmm. tapping into a larger market, but also diversifying their employee base. Mm -hmm. So when you think about why they started in the first place is because of their desire to tap into a different market. And then you have a group of people now that are saying, hey, we don't want to talk about the business case anymore. You need that financial justification. This field has been around for 40-something years. And now, all of a sudden, folks have lost sight of why we're doing this. There is a purpose for DEI in organizations. And the purpose isn't just to make people feel good. Mm Mm-hmm. It is to ensure that the organization is going to have a sustainable path in the future. Otherwise, all the people that they're letting go, they're going to be starting businesses that compete with the companies that just let them go. Mm-hmm. So, we, yeah. Go ahead, finish your point. Finish your point. I got 30 seconds. So, this whole idea of understanding the history ties into why a lot of companies have said, look, we're going to get rid of this. We're not going to do this anymore because they don't really understand the purpose for doing DEI. 
Yep. I want to interrogate that a bit more because it seems to me that if the country is moving in a direction where people of color combined are going to outnumber, you know, our good white brothers and sisters, why you did why would you why you rather would abandon a program like that at a moment like this doesn't make much sense to me and I want to get more expressly into what uh, Senator Marco Rubio uh, has introduced uh, in the Senate. Uh, this uh, so-called Fairness in Higher Education Accreditation Act, uh, more expressly into what Ron DeSantis is doing in Florida. Uh, and again, as we await this decision by the Supreme Court that we do, do not think is going to be in our best interest when it comes to a corrective program like affirmative action, a great deal more to unpack with Leah Smiley, president of the Society for Diversity, when we come forward on KBLA Talk 1580. Yeah, I hate to step on Dizzy and, uh, and Sonny. <laughs> Uh, the show must go on, as they say. Our guest in this hour is uh, Leah Smiley. Uh, she is president of the Society for Diversity. And we are talking about uh, these increasing attacks. Uh, it's one of these subjects that I frankly get tired of talking about. But I can't avoid it because the attacks are becoming more and more vicious every day. So last week, in case you've just tuned in, U.S. Senator Marco, Marco Rubio, Republican of Florida, of course, introduced in the Senate what he's calling the Fairness in Higher Education Accreditation Act. That's a joke, the name itself. Um, it would ban accreditation officials from considering an educational institution's DEI or affirmative action policies when determining accreditation. We'll talk in a moment about what this means for these institutions of higher learning when it comes to their accreditation. We'll talk about that, I promise, uh, in a few moments. This comes after Florida Governor Ron DeSantis. Republican, recently made headlines, of course, by signing a bill into law that defunds diversity programs at the state's public colleges, while also imposing restrictions on how race can be addressed in numerous courses. And then you layer, uh, once again, on top of all of that, uh, the pending decision that we are expecting from the U.S. Supreme Court uh, to end affirmative action as we have known it. Uh, you put all that together, it's not a pretty picture when it comes to corrective programs for people of color, certainly uh, African-Americans. Uh, Leah, there are a couple of things you said before the break I want to come back to right quick before I move forward. And that is, um, I, I heard the comment that you made, uh, as I'm sure the audience did as well, about these untrained, self-proclaimed DE&I experts uh, that many of these corporations hired uh, after the murder of George Floyd and these persons really weren't committed to doing their job, didn't know how to do their job, et cetera, et cetera. If that comment is true, and I'm certain that it is, then doesn't that mean that some of these critics of DE&I are correct uh, in their criticism of these programs? Yes. Yes. So I'll give you an example. A couple of years ago, uh, I was telling my son, hey, get off that cell phone and read a book. So he was like, okay, I'm going to read a book with cuss words in it. I'm like, what? So he pulls out a book that has cuss words in it. And I'm like, where did you get this book? He's at the school library. Here he is, eight, nine years old, reading a book with cuss words in it that he got from the school library. Mm -hmm. The reality is that some of those books that were in the school libraries are and were inappropriate for kids. So what happened was you just had some librarian, some DEI person that said, hey, we want to get some books by diverse people. And instead of them doing the due diligence to find actual authors that specialize in kids' books, they mm. just said, we're going to put anything in here, mm -hmm. even if it's not age appropriate. And that's the kind of stuff that I say is an example of how someone is not taking this profession seriously. If you were taking this stuff seriously, you would think, okay, you know what? If I put books that are inappropriate 
in the libraries, just to say they're written by these diverse authors, there's a potential that there could be backlash, mm-hmm. right? So these are the kind of things that you have to think about, even when it comes to our CEOs. Think about this. There have been research, there has been research that has shown that CEOs have been more influential and more popular than some politicians. Why is it that we spend a lot of our time talking about privilege and not really showing people how to use their privilege as power? So imagine a CEO knowing how to use his or her privilege as power and being able to stand up and say, wait a minute, you can't make these changes in the school because my workforce is going to be impacted. My ability to compete is going to be impacted. My um, the ability for me to recruit talent during this talent shortage, during a highly competitive time, is going to be impacted. Why don't these CEOs know what to say? Why don't they know to partner with these college presidents to make it so that they say, you know what, we're going to stand up to these politicians. We're going to make it so that we use our privilege as power to get stuff done. It is it is a powerful point, and I'm not naive in asking this. Why do you think that isn't happening? Because you have people that are scared. Uh, they they saw what happened with Disney, and, and certainly Disney CEO had to be replaced. Mm. And certainly um, even the person that replaced him, he has kind of taken a, a, a stance where it hasn't been that forceful. Billionaire Mark Cuban just came out and said, look, DEI is great for business. It's, it's for the purposes of diversification, going back to that purpose again. But how many other CEOs came out after Mark Cuban and said, you're right, we're going to join in. We need to start speaking up and speaking out about this issue. None. I haven't heard any. Yeah. So, yeah. I'm sorry. I I I, yeah, I hear your point. Um, and you're right. Um, there have not been not been a flood of these CEOs, uh, who are standing up affirmatively uh, supporting this corrective program, uh, affirmative action or DEI for that matter. Let me ask you right quick here, watching my clock. Uh, with regard to this legislation that Marco Rubio introduced um, last week, how does this so-called Fairness in Higher Education Accreditation Act uh, end up? You think in the long term affecting the accreditation of institutions? will have a huge impact. So there is this conservative playbook, and the playbook is to make DEI equivalent to all things that are unpopular and that cause people to be um, emotional, mm-hmm. right? Um, and, and certainly, when you think about the playbook, it is a very successful strategy, but we have to counteract the strategy. We can't just say, okay, well, you know what? These folks are passing these laws, um, and, and we're just going to sit back and and relax and take it. No, um, Derwin, who is our CEO, um, he's also a member of illustrious Kappa Alpha Five Attorney Incorporated, um, and, and he was asked to speak about state one year on the topic: Has Greek life gone too far? Mm-hmm. Um, and he flipped it to uh, Black life, Black Greek life hasn't gone far enough, mm-hmm. and we have to do the same thing. Um, when it comes to DEI, we didn't go far enough, and there's still much further for us to go. So some of these folks that worked in DEI that lost their jobs, they need to be running for office. Yeah, They need to um, start businesses. They need to make it so that they are strategically 
um, going to those school board meetings in their local communities and getting involved um, and, and thinking about how they can make an impact even if their title is not chief diversity officer. Yeah. So that's the accreditation issue uh, that Marco Rubio is going after. Uh, his uh, his friend, Ron DeSantis, the governor of the state of Florida, um, is going after uh, diversity programs at state colleges, state public colleges, and defunding them in 45 seconds or, or so. And we'll continue on the other side. Tell me what the impact of this is going to be, defunding diversity programs at state colleges. The impact is going to be that people stop having DEI jobs. And a lot of companies, as we've seen, are going to stop doing DEI altogether. Mm. Um, some companies have already started talking about changing the name, like they're playing word bingo. Mm-hmm. But um, certainly, we have to be more strategic. Again, flipping the script and saying, mm. instead of us trying to go straight and make it so that we keep doing the same stuff that we've been doing, let's add some intentionality to what we're doing. And I can talk about that when we come back from break. We'll do that. And speaking of words, I want to talk about this issue, belonging, uh, that's now being added to the DE&I conversation. Leah Smiley, President of Society for Diversity, right now on KBLA Talk 1580. Leah Smiley, there's a point you wanted to finish making. Finish your point, and then I want to ask you about this word, belonging. Everything is related from the affirmative action dismantling to the accreditation standards being um, uh, being um, reduced uh, and made it so that you can't tie DEI to accreditation um, to the attacks on DEI from the book bans and the um, the teacher dismissals and more. All everything is related. So even if People say, okay, well, you know what? Affirmative action is going away. We'll still have DEI. What the states are trying to do is make it so that there's nothing for folks to fall back on, that there is no hope. Mm. That's it. Yeah. That's the goal, right? No, and, and that's the point I tried to make earlier, and I'm glad you put your finger on it so, um, so, uh, so brilliantly uh, and so directly because when you – are living in a space uh, in a country where they wipe out a corrective program like affirmative action, which we expect to happen. And then to Leah's point, they attack uh, accreditation uh, uh, based on DEI. And then they defund diversity programs at public colleges. Again, you take the point that there'll be nothing to fall back on. There'll be nothing for people of color um, to... Uh, to hearken to, uh, to advance their objectives, their ends and aims when it comes to having access um, to higher education and beyond. And you can certainly believe this, which we haven't talked about in this hour, but they start with uh, affirmative action in education. That's what the Supreme Court case is about. It's, right. it's about Harvard and uh, UNC, North Carolina. So they start attacking affirmative action, DE&I, in uh, in public education or private education, for that matter, and then it goes to every other uh, sphere of um, right. of of human endeavor. So it starts in education, but it's going to spread. Trust and believe, and that's the scary part. Right. Let me let me ask you about this word belonging. Everywhere I look now, they've added the word belonging uh, to whatever whatever DEI will still exist in the next few months or years. But to the extent anything still exists, they've not added the word belonging to that. How do you how do you process that? What's that all about? So. A lot of people are trying to make folks comfortable um, and and make them feel good about um, this idea of DEI. 
But DI is supposed to be uncomfortable, right? Mm. <laughs> That's how you get to change. Mm-hmm. You don't grow if you're not uncomfortable. Even in the Bible, it says iron sharpens iron, mm-hmm. right? And when you think about the competitiveness of admitting people into colleges who are diverse or the competitiveness of having people now compete in a transparent manner to get to the top spots in an organization. There's some folks that don't want to compete. They mm-hmm. just want mediocrity. Uh, because even last year for the 2022 to 2023 college admissions year, it was the most diverse uh, admissions in history. And guess what? It was also the most competitive where they yeah. had the best grades mm-hmm. in history. So now you have all these people that are seeing the impact of competition. So again, this goes beyond just looking at it from, you know, the political perspective. It goes to if we can control how black folks think about themselves, they won't strive for the greatness that lies within them. If we can control how, uh, you know, black and brown people feel about their prospects for the future, then we can make sure that they stop trying to change it, right? So we have to make it so that we're not thinking on that level, that we're going above and beyond and we're leveling up our game. I hear your point about not going far enough, Uh, not, 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 uh, uh, not an issue that uh, people really want to address, but I, but I, I take your point. Our remaining moments with Leah Smiley when we come forward on KBLA Talk. Got about three minutes left in this conversation, Leah. Um, let me ask this question, uh, which is, uh, I guess, the ultimate question, the penultimate question. Um, if they are about to do away, uh, they being the U.S. Supreme Court, do away with affirmative action as we've known it. If Marco Rubio's bill uh, advances in the in the House and in the Senate, uh, and we start uh, banning accreditation officials from considering. Uh, and educational institutions, DE&I, or affirmative action policies when determining their accreditation. And if we see other governors uh, and other elected officials continue to defund uh, diversity programs at colleges and universities, uh, what say you about the future of these corrective programs that have been on the books for quite some time now? My question is, why do we have to wait for somebody to give us something? Mm -hmm. Why can't we just take it, right? So... That boils down to what actions are we taking every day to make sure that we are doing our part? Um, There has to be a specific um, action that we're taking, and it requires courage. Courage to make it so that we are focused on the future. That's what makes us different. That's what makes us unique. Fear polarizes. It makes you not want to take those actions that are necessary. And we have to make it so that we are intentional, starting with our own households and making it so that we step outside of our households and do some things also. You have to make it so that even when we're talking about our children and their friends and our other relatives, if you don't have children, making it so that you're educating, that you're encouraging them not to fall into the narrative that it doesn't make any sense what you do. College isn't for everybody. There was just data yesterday that showed that when you don't go to college, you earn 70% less than you would if you would have gone to college. And certainly college has made a difference in the black community. 
Yeah. Uh, making it so that we are, you know, still breaking those barriers that we, um, I, and I read during Black History Month, the history is being made every day, not only in terms of folks doing things that have never been done before in communities, but also in our households. Yeah. LeBron James even said it himself. He said, you know what? My kid is going to be the first one in our family to go to college. And thinking about not only making history in our households, but in our communities. And I know I don't have a lot of time, but <laughs> no, I, no, I take your point. And, I, and obviously, I feel, I feel, and the audience feels. We we all hear you're passionate about it. That's why you are the president of the Society for Diversity, uh, the nation's leading organization when it comes to DE and I training. Uh, but you put your finger on it quite nicely. This, uh, all of this, uh, is connected, as you said earlier, and it's all about two things demographics and power uh don't lose sight of that if you take nothing else away from this conversation uh leah's point was powerful at the very beginning that's about demographics it's about power uh and we'll leave it there for the moment as we await the decision by the u.s supreme court leah thanks for coming on all the best you talk to you soon all right thank you have a great day you too hour two of tavis smiley after news traffic and sports on kbla talk 1580 kbla 1580 santa monica